Uh, but this morning we begin with a great, great time to focus on God's Word and hear the Word of the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, look at Hebrews with me. Hebrews, as I've told you, won't be long to your Bible, just fall open to Hebrews. And I hope it falls apart at Hebrews. Someone as well said that a Bible that is falling apart is usually owned by someone who isn't. <laughs> and so we're going to be working our way on a journey through this incredible book of the New Testament, Living Letter, the book of Hebrews. And we just got introduced last week. And so now I want us to begin again. Just take a moment to read from the Word of the Lord. And so if you are able, please... Uh, you have your Bibles open there, Bible that's provided for you is page 1001, Hebrews 1. And if you are able to please stand, let's read the Word of God together and ask the Lord, the author, the God who speaks, to speak to us from His Word today. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down, at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness. And hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, O Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, King of the angels, the God who speaks and is not silent, open our hearts, 
open our minds, and give us grace right now in this hour to say, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, the one who is my strength and my redeemer. The people of God said, Amen. You may be seated. Hebrews, Jesus is better. Don't settle for less. That's the theme that runs through Hebrews. Jesus is better. Don't settle for less. Now sometimes we settle for less because we don't see the preciousness of what we already have. I, I think a lot of my about my wife when I make a statement like that, that um, she has many, many gifts. My wife has many, many gifts. And one of her gifts is to turn junk into art. <laughs> my, my problem is it comes into the house as junk. <laughs> That's my problem. And it takes it a while to become art. But, but really, really she does over the years. I mean, I would not want to tell you how many times I have been asked, I have been made to pull over <laughs> and pick up people's stuff that's been left outside. It's, it's a humbling thing, and, and the Lord uses it so I can maybe serve him a little bit, but I don't like it. <laughs> but I do it. <laughs> but it's amazing what she can do with this, and so... Uh, we do have some art, really called family heirlooms now, that started as junk. And one that is special to us is um, a, a, a portrait or a painting that when she got this, she just liked the frame, okay? This big, ornate frame. You couldn't even see the picture, and so she brought it home, and we're going to clean this thing. And so we start cleaning this thing, and we're not really too careful with the painting because, you know, it's just, well, it's just junk. You know, she wants the frame. But as we started to clear it off, a, a fairly lovely painting emerged. And I, this, is, this is what emerged, okay? Now, I want you to appreciate this because this is about... 11 feet off the ground in our house, and I had to get up on a ladder to take this picture, okay? So if you see the, if you, if you notice the shaking, there's a reason for that, okay? So when we cleaned it off, it had, it was this beautiful pastoral scene. And we're like, whoa, this is nice. And so we, we, we hung it up and put it behind the, the dining room there after we cleaned it up. And, uh, so we would look at it, and I'd go over there, and one day, we'd had it up a long time, and I noticed, well, it's a pastoral scene, and here's some people, they're chatting, you know, and getting water, and maybe a little flirting there. Uh, and, and they're a little oblivious, because if you look in the back, you can't see it. Some of the animals they're supposed to be watching are falling into the river, okay? And uh, they're not doing their job. But one day when I was looking at it, I saw something I hadn't seen before over in the corner, and here's what I saw. I tried to get this. 
over in the corner in the trees, there was a group of people walking. And I said, what, what is that? And when I got over, look what it is. You may not be able to tell you. It is Joseph and Mary carrying the Christ child and an angel pointing the way to go. This, is, this painting is called The Flight into Egypt. The flight into Egypt. Now, the whole thing is this pastoral scene. If you're not looking, in the corner is the family on their way and Jesus being preserved, angels leading the way. Now, I put this up here because, to me, you see the big and you get distracted by the big and you enjoy it and you get used to it. But if you're not careful, you can miss the Lord Jesus right in the middle of the whole scene. Isn't that the way life is? That's the way not just life, but religion can be. We can get so accustomed to the rhythm of life and the rhythm of our religion, the rhythm of even what we believe that Jesus isn't front and center. We don't, we don't see him. If we're not careful, we're in danger of distraction. If we're not careful, we, our eyes are really focused on loyalties that compete with Jesus. And that is a very present issue, isn't it? There are so many things that call for our attention, and they're not... All evil things. Just so many things that call for attention. If we're not careful, we are distracted with competing loyalties when Jesus is certainly to be our first loyalty. It's a present issue. It's a personal issue. We all struggle with this. I struggle with it. All of us do. And I want you to see that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's a reason it's so living because this is a perpetual issue. The church has always struggled. And Christians have always struggled with not keeping Jesus at the very forefront of everything they see, everything they know, everything they understand. Life itself is about Jesus. That is a perpetual struggle for us, and that's the reason God has given us a perpetual word about it in this book called Hebrews. And so we're talking about how God addresses this, and we began last week as we saw that God speaks to us about the superiority of His Son. He is the God who speaks. He's the God who speaks. And so let's just take a moment. We had a lot of sickness last week. Several of you are not be able to be here. Let's just review briefly what we are learning on this journey. That God is the God who speaks. You saw, first one, that long ago and at many times, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. These last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The key word there is speak. God speaks. He has spoken and he is speaking. And so what's the great and wonderful hope in that, friends? It's this. Since God is the God who speaks, then God is the God who desires to be known. If God is a God who doesn't keep quiet, 
That means he's a God who wants you to know him. That he actually is interested in you having a relationship with him where you know what he thinks, what he wants, what he desires. That is awesome, isn't it? He is very much interested in us knowing him. He's the God who desires to be known. That's the reason he speaks. Now, how does he speak? He spoke in times past. He speaks by creation. He speaks in our conscience. He's spoken by the prophets. He sent people to speak in times past. And he's recorded what he said through the prophets. He put it in the word. But now notice this. In these last days, in these days leading up to the revelation of his kingdom, he speaks to us, not just by prophets, but he speaks to us by his Son. The God who speaks is the Son who speaks. The Son who speaks. It is the Son who speaks. Now, last week we said, what do we learn in verses 1 through 3 about this God who speaks? What do we learn about this one? Well, we learn, just to remind you, that this God, the Son, who is the Word, remembered in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Jesus is called the Word. He's the God who speaks. He's God's revelation. We learn that this Son who speaks is the messenger Son. He speaks. God has sent him as his spokesperson. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. And there's nobody like this messenger Son what we saw in verses 2 and 3, if you'll just notice in my way of review, he's the majestic son. He's the majestic son. Notice what it says. He's the owner of all. Verse 2, he's the heir of everything. Everything that's God's is his. He owns it all. He's the creator of all. Think about that. It says through him, that is through his son, he created the world's. When that voice spoke that said, let there be light, that was the voice of the Son. When God said, let us make man in our image, he was talking about the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit. The one we know as Jesus has existed from eternity past as the Son. He's the owner of all. He's the creator of all. Look at verse 3. He's the revealer of all. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the express imprint of the nature. If you want to know what God is like, God is like Jesus. God is like Jesus. It is not, it is not being irreverent to say literally Jesus is God with skin on him. He that has seen me has seen the Father. I and my Father are one, said the Lord. So he is the one who is the revealer. If you want to know God, you must know him through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
If someone wants to know God, the only way a person can truly know God is through that God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Through Him, you can know God. He's the revealer of all and He's the sustainer of all. Verse 3, it says, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. What is the power that keeps this universe spinning out of control in every way? What is it that keeps total collapse from happening? What is it that holds everything? The world truly is His. He's got the whole world in His hands, and those hands are nail-scarred, right? He upholds it all. He's the sustainer of all. And also, he's the missionary son. Verse number 3 says, He made a purification for sins. He came with a purpose, not so that we just might know about God, but we might know him personally, but he had to tear down the barrier of sin. He had to deal with sin, and he came as the missionary of God to deal with sin so that you and I could be reconciled to God. He broke the wall down through his own sacrifice. And having done that, he became the mediator son. Look at verse 3. It says, he went back and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He went back. He came as a servant. He became a sacrifice but he returned to where he came from as the sovereign to sit on the throne of heaven. And he sits there today, Jesus, the God-man who still has the human form that he had on this earth and he will have human form through all eternity. There is a man, the God-man, seated on a throne in a place called heaven and he is the prophet of God who speaks to us. He is the priest for God who speaks on our behalf for us and he is the king who speaks over us, right? He's the God who speaks. That's the son. He's pretty awesome, right? How awesome he is. Now Jesus is better because Jesus is greater. He's greater. He's greater than the patriarchs, verse 1. He's greater than the prophets. And then beginning at verse 4... Very interesting, the author of Hebrews says now he's greater than the angels. Verse 4, all the way through the end of the chapter, is to prove that Jesus, the Son, is greater than all the angels, that angels bow before him. Now, here's the key question. Listen carefully. This is a very involved passage of Scripture. But if you'll just follow me, whoa, does it open up some wisdom and does it give us some treasure? The key question is, why talk about Jesus in relation to angels? After you've just said these incredible things in verses 1 through 3, why, do you, why, why does this inspired author here take 10 verses, verses 4 through 14, to talk about Jesus' relation to angels. Why? Well, the key is found in what was said in verse 3. Why? Why? Verse 3 says, 
that Jesus made a purification for sins. Do you see that? That describes sacrifice. He made a purification for sins. Verse 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. That purification of sins describes a sacrifice and it describes the work of a priest. Who makes the purification? A priest does. A priest offers the sacrifice. But notice here, Jesus is the sacrifice and he is the priest. He offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins. And then... Having done that and rose from the dead, verse 3, he sat down on the throne at the right hand of the majesty on high. What's that described? When you sit down, what do you do? When you sit down, there's rest. So here's this priest who goes back to the temple in heaven and he sits down, something no priest ever did. There's lots of furniture in the temple but there was no seat in the temple. No priest ever sat down. Why? Because no priest had ever finished his work. Every day of the week, every day, ongoing sacrifices, sacrifices, sacrifices. Millions of sacrifices over 1,400 years. But this one, this priest, when he had offered himself as a sacrifice, all the sacrifices needed were done he sat down. He sat down. And he is sitting there, notice, in rest. And he's sitting there as a priest. And what does a priest do? A priest represents the people whom he has been set aside to be their priest. So here you have the priest now in the presence of God seated at his right hand to represent his people. And so you have someone who represents mankind and someone who represents God. And what do you call that? When someone represents mankind and represents God, that one is the mediator. The one who brings the two together is the mediator. Now follow carefully. Here's what is being addressed here. If, if angels, according to how the Jewish people had thought for centuries, if angels are the highest creatures under God, then the Messiah, even though he is great, he is not the ultimate mediator. If Messiah is just a man, the greatest of all, if he's just the greatest of prophets, but above him is the angels who really mediate between God and man, the way God speaks to man and works with man is through angels. If Messiah is lower than the angels, then he is not the mediator. The angels are still the mediator. However, if Jesus is greater than the angels, 
then he is the highest mediator. And if he is the highest mediator, listen carefully, everything that's gone before in the old covenant has come to a close. And now there's a new covenant with a new mediator, the Son of God himself. See why this is so important? The Jewish people for centuries thought they received their highest communication from God, between God and them, the angels. And if Messiah is just one of us, though he's exalted, he's still not the mediator and the old covenant is still here. But if Messiah is the son and he is higher than the angels, then he is the mediator and he has brought something brand new. You see why this is so important? So here's what happened. We're going to look at it very quickly. The writer then now does this. He takes time to show how Jesus is greater than the angels. That's the reason he talks about the angels. The angels were important to Christians. They were important to the early believers. As a matter of fact, there's 108 references to angels in the Old Testament. Did you know that? 108. And in the New Testament, there are 165 more. 273 references in the Bible to angels. And they are connected as communicating from God. Especially they were involved in the communication of God's law in the Old Testament. And here's what the Jewish people, these early Jewish Christians knew. Here's what they knew about angels. They knew angels were ancient. That they existed before God said the creation of man took place. The angels saw God create mankind. They knew the angels were powerful. They knew the angels were intelligent. They knew the angels were swift. They knew the angels were emotional. They could be filled with joy and they could get quite angry. They knew the angels were innumerable, millions and millions and millions. And they knew the angels were organized in various types of systematic strategies to serve God in various ways. They knew there were good angels. There were good angels who were mediators for them between they and God, and they knew they were bad angels, fallen angels, who had also rebelled against God, led by an angel called Lucifer, and they knew those angels were monsters. So they were very aware. Good angels, bad angels. But now the author says, I want you to know, Jesus is greater than those angels. He is greater than those angels. He is not just another messenger. He is the messenger. He is the one who has brought us a new covenant. He is the great high priest. He is the sacrifice. He is the son. There is no one like him. And friends, today, with all the talk we have about angels and all the things that we hear about angelic forces, even to the very movies that we're watching. We have to get our mind right. There is not a battle between good and evil, a force evil and a force good. That is not what is going on. There is evil in this universe, but it is an evil led by angels 
spiritual authorities, but overall, is God blessed forever and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no ultimate force but the force of God Almighty. We have to keep our minds right or we drift. Now, what, what do we learn here? Let's go into this. How does he prove that Jesus is better than the angels? Here's what he does. Well, if you wanted to prove that Jesus is better than the angels, you would need to listen to the God who, what? Speaks. God has spoken and said, I have a son who's greater than the angels. I put it in your Bible, and I want to show you that I've already told you, I have a son who is coming, and he's greater than the angels. And then the writer of the Hebrews gives six reasons. He quotes seven verses of Scripture, beginning at verse 5, down through verse 13, he quotes seven different passages of Scripture to give six reasons why Jesus is better than the angels. Let's look at them very, very quickly. Number one, Jesus is greater than the angels. Number one, because he possesses the titles higher than the angels. He possesses titles higher than the angels. Verse 4, having become as much superior to the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name, inherited a more excellent title than theirs. His name is what? What's his name? Verse 5, for to which of the angels did he ever say, first quotation from Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you. What's that refer to? When Jesus, the Son, was incarnated humanly. He's the only begotten Son. And Paul tells us, when He rose from the dead, He was proven to be the Son of God with power. And Paul quotes this very passage to say, Jesus is the begotten son today i have begotten you i have brought you forth in incarnation and i've brought you out of the tomb in resurrection he's never said anything like that to any angel has he and then look at verse 5 he also quotes from second samuel chapter 7 i will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son that's as god speaking to david and he says, David, I make you a promise. There will be from you a son to reign after you. And you're he's talking about Solomon. But he's, he's also talking about the son to come. The ones who will come from David's line. And the one who will be the ultimate son. Here again, he's saying, God never said that to an angel. He was talking about a son. Number two, Jesus is greater than the angels because he is worshipped and served by angels. He's worshipped and served by angels. Verse 6 quotes from Deuteronomy 32. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. He tells the angels to worship his firstborn, the son. Now, you need to know something. Sometimes somebody may come to your doorstep and they may say, see, this, is, this shows that Jesus is not God. 
because he's called the firstborn. And how could he be God if he's the firstborn? How could God be born? Well, the firstborn here, what it means is not that chronologically or in a natural birth. It means the greatest of all. He is the highest of all. It's like he's speaking here as he speaks of Solomon. Solomon is called the firstborn, but guess what? Solomon was the tenthborn. Well, how could he be the firstborn if he's the tenthborn? Because he is the leader. He's the ruler. He's the one above all. And that's who he's talking about, Jesus. He has brought the greatest into the world. He calls him my beloved son. Let all the angels, what? Worship him. Who will angels only worship? God. This is saying he is not less than God. He is God. Verse number 7. Let's go on. He says here he's to be worshipped. And then verse 7 says of the angels. He says he makes his angels winds and his ministers of flames of fire. The angels are servants but Jesus is the Son. It says angels are, are ministers. They're, they're like flames of fire. But they're not equal to the Son. Who is above all the firstborn. Number four. Uh, number three. Jesus is greater than the angels. Because he sits on the throne as the God King. He sits on the throne as the God King. Verse eight. But of the Son he says. Your throne O God. And he's quoting here from Psalm 109. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness. You have hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. That's the word Christos, Messiah. He has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Here he is quoting from Psalm 45 and also quoting in the passage surrounding it that this one who sits on the throne is God. Friends, mark it in your Bible. This verse, verse 8, Romans 1.8 is one of the clearest, maybe the clearest statement on the deity of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. God says to him, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He is called God. The Son is God. What's this mean about the angels? Well, I've written this in the notes for the students. The heavenly angels surround the throne of heaven, but only Jesus sits on the throne of heaven, right? There's... Innumerable angels around the throne of heaven, but there's only one who sits on the throne of heaven, and that is Jesus. Number four, Jesus is greater than the angels because he is the eternal, changeless creator. He's the eternal, changeless creator. Verses 10 through 12. And you, Lord, and he's quoting here from Psalm 102, you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. 
He is completely beyond the angels. The angels are created beings. They are not eternal beings. But the Son, Jesus, He is the eternal one. He is the eternal, changeless creator. Number five, Jesus is greater than the angels because He possesses the all-surpassing destiny. What's this, what is the destiny for Jesus? It is so surpassing the destiny of angels. Look, if you will, at verse number 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said what he said here in this passage? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Psalm 110. Sit here, son. Sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. He never said that to angels. Angels, to angels, God says, go and work. That's what he says to angels. What does he say to the son? Sit here and watch me work. <laughs> watch what I'm going to do. Because of what you've accomplished on Calvary, because of your great sacrifice, because of your victory, I will bring all the nations of the earth and your enemies will kneel at your feet. We know how it all ends, don't we? Praise God. Number six, Jesus is greater than the angels because he sends the angels to serve. The person who sends out the angels is greater than the, the ones who are sent. If the angels are sent as servants, the one who sends them out is greater than they. Verse 14, are these angels not all ministering spirits? They're, they're servant spirits sent out to serve. Serve whom? To serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Who's that? Believers, Christians, angels have been sent to serve us. Why? Because when we have faith in Jesus, though we are sinners, now by his grace, we are sons and daughters. And the angels who serve the king serve the king's kids. Isn't that amazing? And they are sent to serve us. Hey, I got a question for you. Have you ever flown first class? You ever flown first class? <laughs> I, I, would, I don't know how many planes I've been on in my life. I've prayed for a miracle to go first class one time. <laughs> That's one time. One time I wanted to go on a plane and turn left. Just what's it feel like to go in and turn left? And I always dreamed, what about a flight overseas? Oh, baby. I mean, this, I, I could dream about it. Well, a couple years ago, we took a group of folks on a trip to Greece. And before we got to Washington, the trip fell apart. Airlines really messed things up. And I and some others, we had to stand at the counter. They left us. Then they took us off a plane. Two planes left us. We're, we got to go to Greece. All hours, hours, hours trying to put this back together. And some of them weren't the most helpful people. Just going to say that. I'm, one of them in particular, he, he, was, he was the gate manager. 
I, I called him Mr. B.A., a bad attitude. He just had a bad attitude. He was wearing on me. The, the, the Lord was using him in my life, but I, did, I wasn't enjoying the, the class. And finally, finally, it was so messed up, the terminal manager of that airline came down. And he started putting things together. And Mr. B.A.'s walking up, and he's trying to get in on this. And I'm about ready. Mmm, boy, I'm saying, mmm, we're, we're, we're going to have a laying on of hands here in a minute. And finally, the, the manager, he straightens things out. Get rooms, they get rooms for us. Now we're still Mr. Plane, everything's stacking up, but they get, got rooms for us, a meal. And next day, we came over, had to get everybody on the plane. Susan and I said, oh, we've got to make sure everybody gets on, everyone. So on. They call out names, get them on, get them on, get them on. And finally, it's me and Susan. We walk up, and the person from the stand there says, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Polson. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Mr. BA got in on this. I walk over, and she said, uh, could I have your tickets, please? And <laughs> give her my tickets here. And I look down, and it says, row four, first class. <laughs> I walk over. I, I look, Susan, you can't believe this. I walk over, and guess who's at the gate having to take the tickets? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Mr. B.A., you with me? Oh, yeah. I handed him those tickets. Have a nice flight. <laughs> I will, dude. I mean, I was, I, mean I, I was not. I mean, I go in, and I'm telling you, I have never experienced anything like it. They're, t they're taking your coat off. They're getting your bags. They're sitting you down. They're, I, they're anticipating your every need. <laughs> the group's back there. <laughs> oh, they're like row 47, 49, <laughs> 50. And we're up there. It was unbelievable. And they served you every need. And they keep trying to bring, they bring you food. And then they bring you drinks. And you don't want those kind of drinks. I can't have those kind of drinks. I'm, I'm too close to headquarters. I can't drink that right now. Okay. So... And then, they're doing that. And I, we're flying out nine hours in first class. And <laughs> sometimes I just walk back through economy. How are you poor people doing? How are you? You know. It was amazing. Well, listen, friends. I want to tell you something. We are on a journey, and our father owns the airline, and our older brother is the pilot, and we're going home to our kingdom, and we're being served, even though we don't see all the service, we're being served by the angels of God. Wow. There's no one like him. No one like him. And that's where we live, not in the old, underneath innumerable angels, hoping in some way we can know our creator. Oh, no. We're in the family. We're, we're in this new covenant family. We don't deserve it, but we can't deny it. It's free grace through Christ 
who has paid the price, who has gone back to his father, has sat down and now sends his angels to serve us, his brothers and sisters. Oh, the wonder of it all. 